Tom Chick, and you are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for The Master. I am joined this week by Christian McCrovsky. Mc, uh, uh, it's actually the man McCrovsky, Abel Seaman. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. And with a uh, The Master tagline, Kelly Wand. Is not a person who can remember only this life a case of amnesia on a grand scale? Very thoughtful, Kelly Wand. Uh, <laughs> what? Why did you take that as... Try to blow your mind. I, like I, and it was thoughtful. You thoughtfully blew my mind. You, I you, just didn't say it right. You've mentally dominated me. I'm more like the Joaquin Phoenix character. Mm, okay, Keyboard. well, we'll see. To my what? To my Amy Adams? Out of your Philip S. Well, let's talk about that in a moment. Uh, but oh. first, without spoiling anything about who mentally dominates whom, Dingus, why don't you tell us a little bit about what we saw this week uh, or earlier in the case of some of us? Because this is opened very limited. Uh, September 21st, it opened wider, uh, and we're just now getting around to it. So, Dingus, what did we see prior to this recording? I'll put it that way. All right, well, this week we saw The Master, mm-hmm. a 2012 drama movie about an all-girl a cappella... Hold on. About a guinea pig ah. and his mentor. Sorry. It was written and directed by Paul Thomas Anderson and stars Philip Seymour Hoffman, Joaquin Phoenix, Amy Adams, Jesse Plemons, and mm-hmm. Rami Malek. The Master is rated R for sexual content. Mm-hmm graphic nudity and language I agree with all of those yeah. even Not- graphic nudity you can't see a dick okay <laughs> just say it you could but that's just not that's what an MPAA guy told me verbatim at a bar the other night they live in Vancouver I just like that there's, there's something called nudity and then something called graphic nudity graphic nudity right <laughs> Yeah, well, there's. A, I think that isn't that like a second base, third base situation. I guess Graphic so, line. but I, I, I just think that it's a little unfair. All right. There's uh, a graphics department. And if they were nude, then what would that be, Kelly? Wong? A graphics department store. Uh, so let's uh, before before we spoil it, not going to spoil it yet, uh, but I will tell you that uh, the master opened on its opening weekend. Uh, it made four million dollars. Came in, I think, it's seventh place, uh, I believe, and that was back in the early, uh, late September. Uh, Pitch Perfect, on the other hand, which Dingus alluded to, opened to fifteen million dollars. Huh. So that means it's almost four times better than the master. Commercially speaking, yeah. Uh, although we'll say actually the master is now up to uh, I think twelve point something. So no, so the master's getting up there. Uh, it, it, we'll see where Pitch Perfect goes. That's uh, what the math teaches us up there. <laughs> on Rotten Tomatoes, eighty-four uh, percent of all reviews of the master are positive, uh. whereas only seventy-six percent of all reviews of Pitch Perfect are positive. Wait, uh, how much? 76% of the Pitch 
perfect reviews are positive. 84% of the master reviews are positive. I wonder if they saw them all as a double feature and went. Like I did. just came off high. <laughs> Me too. That's how I rocked it. Uh, that's how everybody on this podcast, but you rocked it, Kelly Wand. We did a master pitch perfect double feature. So maybe that will figure into the conversation. I know it will figure into the three by three, which we'll get to later. Uh, let's see. On Metacritic, which uh, gauges the average rating of reviews that give numerical, they give ratings, uh, the master is at 85. However, pitch perfect. <laughs> pitch perfect is at 65. Oh. So much to think about. That's not up there at all. There's a lot of pitch perfect wet blankets out there. I'm not happy with that. By the way, my star meter, hey, math genius. Yes. My star meter was up half a million a couple weeks ago, and then it was down by 78,000 this week. So Mm -hmm. I wanted you to tell me what that means. So that means you're still up several hundred thousand. (laughs) It's a wave of millions going, yay, Kelly Wan, and then boo, Kelly Wan, the next week. Why are they upset? Why are they booing you? What did you do? Because the well, you'll see in a minute after okay. read the ops. Uh, well, yeah. So let's. There's our math portion of the podcast. Let's uh, get to the ops. Kelly, one. What would you call it if you were to synopsize the events of the master? I would call it a mastsis. A mastsis. All right. Uh, the mastsis. Let's have a the mastsis. Wait, was that okay? Because you've been kind of hard on my. I was expecting. Uh, a, I was expecting a mastopus. Mastopsis. Aha. Uh-huh. See, it's not easy, is it? I know. You, you, That's the hardest part of the opsis. You evaded me, Kelly Wand. The mopsis. All right, so what do you got for us? Rock and roll. I'm looking forward to hearing this. Because right, I, I, by the way, Kelly Wand, I do not envy you this task. Mm, you were right not to. Um, <clears throat> it'll be over soon. That's the good part. The mastopsis. River Phoenix is he? <laughs> wow, that was good. Okay. All right, so. that's a new record almost. <laughs> right out of the gate. That's awesome. What's uh, Metacritic say about that record? <laughs> anyway, uh, the Mastsis take two. River Phoenix is a U.S. Navy guy stationed in the Pacific during World War II with a platoon of other dudes. They're deployed on an island the Japanese don't consider worth fighting over because its only export is venereal disease. I think he's the medic because he knows how to make alcohol out of anything and because he tells the scrubs the best way to kill crabs is to shave one ball and then when they go to the other one, set that one on fire. And when they're fiery little bodies scatter, stab them with an ice pick. The guy's all, gee, I've been stabbing the ball with the ice pick first. Sarge keeps telling me not to do it during combat. River Phoenix is all, and he fucks a ten-foot chick made of sand. One guy thinks the sand chick's a little too sandy up the urethra for his taste, so he jacks off into the ocean while the rest of the guys fart and chop up gourd. Greatest generation indeed. For his sand sculpting skills, River Phoenix gets promoted to Navy psychiatrist critic. He tests him out in a squalid guy with a cigarette. The guy holds up a picture of Ernest Borgnine in a nun's habit getting cornholed while he eats dog food. What do you see here? River Phoenix is all random ink blots. The guy shows him a picture of melting clocks. How about these? Uh, that's correct. The guy gets out a bottle of ink, spills it on an index card, and holds it up. What about this? The River Phoenix is already drinking the ink and passing out. River Phoenix gets a day job poisoning day laborers and scores a plum gig taking pictures of guys in ties at department stores for their wives. 
He also meets a chick whose job is to wander around the store with a coat on and go, forty nine ninety five. He gets to first base by getting her loaded on photo developer solvent and going, how much for just the coat? They go on a date, but he falls asleep before the appetizers. <laughs> I've been on that date, but usually is her. <laughs> much like the character, I think I fell asleep for a bit because somehow he's on a party boat going under the Golden Gate Bridge or the Brooklyn one. They don't look that different if you're from L.A. He goes down to the keel hall after his sleep, and L. Ron Hubbard's there. Welcome aboard my vessel, young old soul. I call her the Thetan Auditor Golden Apple. How would you like to be processed at the low, low rate of whatever's in your pockets and saliva? River Phoenix is all, totally. L. Ron Hubbard's all, ha, curiosity, how quaint. What's involved, you ask? Barely a couple hours of ritualized embarrassment and jargon I pull out of my ass. But it's really just street barker hypnotism with some Lovecraftian cosmology and shit about past lives thrown in to appeal to rich cougars. River Phoenix is all, I said something. L. Ron's all, ha, laughter is good. Hopefully there will be some later. Now then, sit here as if you're interested. Good, good. Now it's very important that you do not blink once or your past lives won't be able to see and we'll have to start all over. Plus the universe may asphyxiate. But let me worry about that. It's not really a universe at all, but a bicycle horn. Now then, are you a dumbass? Uh, are you easily suggestible? Yes. Are you easily suggestible? Uh, are you a suggestimass? Uh, might be kind of easier to not blink if my eyes are shut. Am I spewing gibberish? Uh, spewing... Could Daniel Day-Lewis have played this? <sighs> Why isn't brain a jelly flavor? Uh, don't take this wrong, but maybe this only works on rich people, like actors and Neil Gaiman. What color does fate taste like? Wouldn't you have said this shit in at least one of your past lives? In which case we'd have heard it. Ha! Logic. The devil's lubricant. Speaking of which, I was quite enamored of your concoction here. What, pray tell, are the ingredients of this most portentous flibbertigibbet? Uh, that's my athlete's foot ointment. I keep my crabs in it. Ha! Finer snake oil half Eros ne'er imbibed. By Xenu's taint, thirty-something man-beast, thou, sir, art a true helotrobin. Follow me for the rest of your days and in all your future lives, and by the heat death of the universe, you, my lad, will have earned yourself almost thirteen cents. Uh, can I get half that in advance? I told your daughter-in-law I'd take her somewhere with placemats. River Phoenix goes on to become Elrond's muscle in court jester, kind of their Jeff Conaway and Greta Van Susteren rolled into one. It's the perfect marriage. Elrond loves what River Phoenix can make out of aftershave and isotopes, and River Phoenix gets to come to terms with the 16-year-old girl he statutorily raped and promised to come back to by not coming back to her and telling an assembly woman of... <laughs> And telling an assembly of women and furs what broken glass tastes like. Elrond has an even perfecter marriage to a chick who ghostwrites his books while she gives him nightly handjobs over the bathroom sink. Talk about dictation. Sometimes River Phoenix has to lay down the hurt on naysayers. At one cocktail party, a rich old hag lying on a couch is all... Wow, so was I that velociraptor writing Anubis' shopping list for egg salad? Or was I the yoke? Elrond's all, you, madam, were the bus driver all along. Everyone goes, ah, a piano, pi a, <laughs> a player piano slow claps. 
the rich lady's all, wow, I've never felt so close to my dead sister. Here's $10,000. Elrond holds up the check, sniffs it, and goes, Madam, I cannot accept your donation, but thankfully my past lives can, and they have very expensive taste in baldness cream. May your bewildered oldness make the trillion-year-old universe shine slightly formaldehydeier. Some wiseacre from the peanut gallery is all. Actually, sir, I believe that according to the best scientific journals of 1949, egg salad was invented a quadrillion years ago. Elrond's all. Listen, pig fuck, I don't come down to your feeding trough and knock the gold-plated dick out of your mouth. Sidebar. Elrond Hubbard did know a little science, at least enough to write science fiction before the invention of cars. From his diary in 1928, the trouble with China is there are too many chinks here. After a bunch of cops show up at the house to arrest Elrond for swindling the Philadelphia Women's Bridge Club out of their horn rims to build an ivory statue modeled after his favorite elephant tusk, he and River Phoenix spend some quality time in adjoining jail cells in Alabama. River Phoenix breaks the toilet in his cell with his foot. Elrond's all, Adam Sandler will do that better in your next life. But don't worry, Freddy, those handcuffs are merely an illusion designed by the Illuminati to lower your credulity and wrist flexibility. Pay them no mind. That will need for bail. River Phoenix is all. I think you're making all this shit up. There was never any such thing as dinosaurs. And all runs all. Perhaps, but no one else likes you but me. They become friends again and make it official by wrestling on the lawn till a pant leg rips and everybody claps tiredly. Later, there's an eyes wide shut party. River Phoenix tries to stay awake during by picturing all the middle ladies' bushes, but it's still not enough. Or rather, too much. <laughs> they go on a motorcycle ride with no ending and a mediocre book tour, but things just aren't the same. So River Phoenix takes his leave and goes back home and knocks on a door and goes, I'm here to see Zsa Zsa. The mom's all, oh, she married that Gabor boy across the street three years ago. Weren't you that one who statutorily raped her and promised you'd come back and do it again once you'd made something of yourself? Did you make something of yourself? River Phoenix is all. Well, I just spent the last two years pacing up and down a room and telling a millionaire that his walls felt like moss. She gives him the daughter's number, but he uses the paper to make alcohol. River Phoenix goes to see Paranormal Activity 3 and understandably falls asleep. He dreams an usher brings him a phone. River Phoenix is all. Uh, uh, even my dreams are boring. Elrond's all. Come to England. I remember where we first met. I think you'll find this knowledge well worth the price of your airfare. He flies to England and goes, All right, where? Elrond's all. We mailed Prussians to pigeons and used two mantras as stamps. Only two. It was a world record at the time. Everything was. River Phoenix is all. <laughs> River Phoenix is all. Oh, okay, that wasn't even worth the flight time. His eyes a twinkle, Elrond smiles and goes, In the next life we'll be sworn enemies and I'll show you no mercy. River Phoenix size simulates a propeller with his index finger and heads to the nearest hobo tracks. He sits down by the campfire and goes, well, at least that fuckhead's out of my life finally. Now I can think straight. The Frankenstein sitting across from him goes, good for you. Positive energy's key. My name's Tony Robbins. <laughs> and then the credits roll and then the end. Was there an Easter egg? I didn't stay. <laughs> uh, the Easter egg was at the end title card, yes. Yeah. Question mark. Past life. All right, very nice, Kelly One, except for the tap dancing on the microphone. Good God, are you that... using it as a pen? Are you writing with your microphone? Yeah, I find really? it better to not talk 
<laughs> to a microphone that you're banging against a desk. That's, that's just me personally. Uh, uh, all right, so let's. Uh, I'll just redo it. It's, it's not at the end though. The the title the, the end is just the master. You get to see uh, the master. Oh wait, so it goes the end and then it says the master. I think it just says the master. I personally like the credits to Pitch Perfect better. I just uh, want to throw that out there. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, Pitch just, Perfect... Just, just yeah. the credits, though? No, just if you're comparing the credits of the master, the end credits, to the end credits of Pitch Perfect, I way prefer the end credits of Pitch Perfect. I'm just throwing okay. that out there. I was just asking if that's all that you preferred. Well, you know what? Maybe we'll get into that with the 3x3. Three three. You know what? Stay tuned for after the 3x3, three three, which was, it turns out, heavily influenced by Pitch Perfect. Uh, we'll be talking a little Pitch Perfect <laughs> at that point. <laughs> but before then, uh... let's, let's do our duty. Let's dutifully discuss The Master. Um, so we're all, of course, Paul Thomas Anderson fans. I, I uh, uh, would be curious. So, Dingus, you saw this first, um, and you even volunteered to see it a second time uh, when I went. Um, so, Dingus, you go first. How uh, how would you describe your reaction to the master? Uh, I did see it first. Uh, I went to see it when I thought we were going to see it the first time, but we oh, couldn't. Boy. No, I'm don't say anything, Kelly. I'm just saying we couldn't see it that time. I'm not blaming anybody. We just couldn't. I'll use a different and, mic. Um, <laughs> and uh, and so, as is my want with a movie I'm not sure how I feel about, I wanted to see it again. So I saw it again this week. Ah, so did that add some surety, or what What was the end result of a, of a second viewing, to, to be sure? It was the, it's a movie that I think I should like, uh, and I don't. Let me ask you this, Dingus. So, why do you think you should like it? Elaborate on that a little bit. What, what's that about? Rotten Tomatoes score. Well, I, you know, I uh, that's uh, Kelly makes a good point, but I don't check any of those scores. I don't read any reviews before we do these things, and, and, I, and I held in abeyance any of those things um, because I thought we were going to get this, do this movie together. And I, regardless of how I felt about it, I was excited to talk about it, mm-hmm. um, and I love. Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, okay. I found There Will Be Blood to be really difficult, but I loved watching it. And in fact, I got to see it. Uh, I think I think I saw it with you, Tom, the second time you saw it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really hard for me, but I really liked watching it. Uh, uh, so I felt like I should watch this because I there's just this feeling in the atmosphere that it's a masterpiece. Um, Wait, are you talking about There Will Be Blood, or are you talking about The Master? No, The Master. I'm talking about The Master. There's a feeling out there somewhere that this is a great thing. I'm really careful about looking at reviews until I uh, process a movie, and part of processing a movie is talking to you guys about it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Application. Um, But I just, as much as I love the performances in it, I just don't care for it. All right. Uh, Kelly Wand, why don't you go next? So, uh, how, how did you react to this thing? Mm, I think structure is overrated, but I don't want to. I can't imagine watching it again. I can't believe Dingus fucking saw this thing twice in two weeks. <laughs> it's really. There's nothing. Uh, it's a lot of individually awesome scenes, and therefore worth seeing one scene a week for the year. Uh, were you at all, Kelly Wan, either, was there any, uh, and I'll just say uh, these were two 
I think, two sentiments that were very powerful for me, and let me just ask if these existed for you, Kelly Wand, were you at all disappointed or frustrated with it? I think There Will Be Blood's a tough act to follow, so I tried to pretend it didn't exist for the movie, but I was really tired, so I thought, maybe I'm just not enjoying this because I'm tired. But then when I think about it, I feel tired again. So fatigue. It's the movie. <laughs> yeah, the movie made me even more tired than I was <laughs> instead of galvanized me, as I'd been hoping. So yeah, I was disappointed, but maybe the flaw was with me and not the movie. Dis- disappointed and frustrated is a perfect way to put it. I, I don't. I don't know if you're baiting us or what. But no, no, not at all. I'm. I'm with you guys. Master baiting us. Ah, very nice. Uh, very nicely. Yeah, I, yeah, it's, it's, it's disappointing and frustrating is how I felt about it. And I think, Dingus, I can understand your feeling about you feel like you should like it because there is clearly just so much craft in it. I mean, one of the things there, even though Kelly Wan, you mentioned being fatigued throughout. I was uh, I had this growing sense of disappointment and frustration that it uh, at, at various things that we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, but I will say that it was fascinating to watch largely because and I think, Dingus, this is where I share this sense that you have that I feel like I should love it, there is just so much craft in it. I mean, the way Paul Thomas Anderson shoots a scene is just unmistakably brilliant. You know, it, it doesn't feel like it's something that's arranged for the camera. It has this very almost Altman sense, and even to describe it as like a Robert Altman thing just doesn't do it justice. But there's this sense of... Things are un- unfolding, and the cam- camera just happens to be running part of the time. I mean, we're just watching these very organic things happening, and I find that fascinating. And and the way, the, you know, the, the production design, um, it, it's just a, a beautiful bit of craft. Um, so so I, I, I sort of feel like, you know, to, to see that much craft go into it, surely the, the narrative and the writing, whatever point that's here, should also have just as much craft. And maybe I'm just not getting it. Um, but I, I think my feeling is that for all that craft, uh, that there's just not much there. And I that's what I'm disappointed in. And I'm frustrated that there's not much there because the basic structure, the concept... There should be something there. It's fascinating stuff as well. Um, biopic, doomed. You know what, though? I don't know that it is a biopic. Part, you know what? Maybe you can help me with this, Kelly Wan, because I don't know a lot of specifics about L. Ron Hubbard. Uh, I, I get this sense more, just like you know, he did There Will Be Blood based on the uh, Upton Sinclair, an Upton Sinclair novel, that as he was working from it, he just deviated farther and farther, further and further from the, the actual subject matter and made it his own thing. There Will Be Blood is not, is not an Upton Sinclair novel. It's a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. So I don't know, is this really a sort of a closely hewn biopic or is it just a straight up paul thomas anderson movie do you know uh i don't know its origins but i wish he deviated more like he had in there will be blood it was kind of like there will be blood it's mainly about <clears throat> daniel de lewis's character mm-hmm. and in this one philip seymour hoffman's kind of that character but it's like if paul dano's character had been the main guy and there'll be blood but I like the performance, too. It just, what do I want it to be, I guess? I don't know. Uh, well, Dingus, do you know much about the, the source material and uh, how close it, it it adheres to uh, L. Ron Hubbard's life in Scientology? Do you, do I don't you know anything about the wife stuff. Okay. But they uh, didn't allude to his science fiction, either, and that was a big part of his. Okay. Uh, Ding, Dingus, do you know much about that? 
Well, the thing is, he's just so coy about it now because of the power structure of Scientology and his friend Tom Cruise and those types of things. So he's constantly shying away from it. So he says things like, uh, what I was, the kernel of the idea is the idea that after a war, I don't know what the quote is exactly, but after the war, after a war ends is a, is, is a time when, when a cult might emerge. Okay. Um, and, and as soon as I read that, I thought, well, gee, we had a war that supposedly just ended. Maybe you could have jumped off from that if, unless you're going to actually do that Scientology thing and be true to it. But he's so coy about it right now. There's almost no way to tell. Uh, I, I don't know because it's been, it, it, there's, there's a certain amount of scrubbing that goes on. Well, and even whether you know how he's talking about it in relation to Scientology, I mean, I, I just didn't feel that it was a, a straight-up biopic. Uh, and that's, again, that's my disappointment and frustration, disappointment and frustration because I, I, I find what you described there, Dingus, that's fascinating. This idea that in, in this meandering post-war, what do I do now, you know, broken people get caught up in these causes – uh, and that, to me, that that should make a great story. You know, there will be blood. It has a lot about uh, the inner, you know, religion and, and and the susceptibility of people to that. And uh, I'd love Paul Thomas Anderson to make a movie about that. If I had read more about this in advance, I would have been so psyched to see it. You know, I went in knowing very little about it, but uh, this should have been fascinating, I think. And and Kelly Wan, you mentioned part of the problem is that it's about. It would be like there will be blood being about the Paul Dano character, but. I actually think that that there is that that's not an excuse because I think that should have been a very compelling angle to take to see this character, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, uh, Dodd Lawrence Dodd. What was his name? Lancaster Dodd. L- Lancaster Dodd. Yeah, to see Lancaster Dodd through this broken man's eyes would would have should have been great, and I think. To back to Marcy, uh, Martha Marcy May Marlene, which was the same kind of subject matter, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 I think of how that movie wasn't told through John Hawke's character's perspective. It didn't need to be. It was how he was perceived by uh, uh, which Olson is she? Elizabeth Olson's character. Uh, and there was a similar structure here. This wasn't about Philip Seymour Hoffman necessarily. It was about how he was seen and how he interacted with Joaquin Phoenix. Um, and I came out of this feeling uh, that, that Martha Marcy May Marlene was a much more haunting treatment of that kind of subject, uh, you know, the mental domination of, of somebody. Um, and it does have that same perspective, Kelly Wan, that you, you think might have been part of the problem with uh, um, with the master. Well, we get glimpses of it, but the Amy Adams stuff only, like, that's not Joaquin Phoenix's point of view. So it sort of breaks that. Right. Fair. Yeah. Fair point. Uh, but but I mean, blood never breaks. It. But but uh, but Joaquin Phoenix is clearly the main character. He is clearly the, the protagonist here. Right. That's why the Amy Adams stuff feels out of it or out of sync to me. Uh, yeah. Stuff, I don't know. Like it's stuff that he wouldn't even dream, or is he dreaming it? We go from his dreams to Philip Seymour Hoffman's bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I do think it's definitely a third-person movie. You know, we're not seeing it through yeah. someone's eyes, and, and yeah. that, that isn't what I meant to suggest. But, you know, clearly the main character is Joaquin Phoenix. Um, I think that's the source of my disappointment, because most of his Anderson's movies don't have that. I always feel like I'm in the head of this character. And here is, yeah, so it, it is kind of... 
like in Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene, we're very much in her head. You know, it's right. very much about her perception. Here, it's strangely removed. And also, I found even though he was an, a fascinating character, I, I didn't, I didn't like him. I didn't understand him. I didn't, I didn't feel any sympathy towards him. Um, either of them. Either of them. Right, right. But, but I think to have that is, I, I just wonder if that was maybe a sort of a tactical error from, from a narrative perspective to have just this really kind of awful dude being the main character. Um, the only blood you're not supposed to like him. I didn't even understand his physicality, to be quite honest. It felt like an actor just going for something, and it turned into Carl from Sling Blade. I, I didn't... I, I understand you finding that and going for that, and that's fine. But it, it just sort of... All of it got in the way for me. I, I, I hear you there, Dingus, but I have to disagree with you, because I that was one of the things I loved about both the character and Joaquin Phoenix's performance. I mean, I think we can all we would all agree that Joaquin Phoenix was was pretty riveting in this. Um, oh yeah, yeah. But I, I, part of what I liked about his performance was that physicality and how it illustrated this idea of a, of a broken man who could just fly into these rages. I mean, the way he held himself, hunched over, he, he you know, and the way he would put his arms behind the small of his back like an old man i just got this sense of this guy who was just, just physically mentally broken and beat down um and and absolutely the physicality of the the fight scenes even just watching him struggle with the policeman i mean that's really hard you normally like choreograph something like that or you're careful with stuntmen or whatever but that just looked like it was like dangerous and somebody could have gotten hurt and when he's wailing on poor kevin o'connor uh, and, and by the way, oh. why does Paul Thomas Anderson subject poor Kevin O'Connor to so much brutality? <laughs> <laughs> poor guy. Poor guy. Because oh, he's man. good at it. I guess. Uh, that, yeah. I love. I love the fight scenes in this. From from that that early uh, that early fight. Um, I, I love all of the fight scenes in this, and I would totally agree with you on that. But but the the way he was just standing around drove me nuts i just i just couldn't see it i, I mean i can i can understand what one of the things i do like is this idea of we don't know what the ptsd comes from we don't know other than some little statements about his kidneys being messed up which maybe that's part of why he stands that way but but other than that i just get this this weird overly actually thing about him doing that but I, I love the fighting. I love that that police thing you're do, you're talking about, and I love the early part of the jail scene when he's destroying the toilet. I, I don't like where that scene goes, but <laughs> but I like I like those those action scenes. I just don't like his his stand. I, I don't know. It okay. just gets in my way. Wait, uh, what are you talking about? His stance. But he sta- he stands with his with his hands uh, on his back. And his shoulders, his chest concave. He's just got this. It's just, I mean, yeah. that thing where you said some guy uh, masturbating on the beat. That's him. He's doing this this weird thing with his shoulders. He's just got this weird stand. That I was focusing like on an actor. Yeah, good point. It just it feels like an actor sort of finding something that the director doesn't say. Okay, now you found something about the character. Well, now let's move into another stage. And there's a couple things about that 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 drives me nuts. It just got in my way. But I I can accept I can accept how it works for you, Tom. 
And he was just so committed too, even to the smaller stuff. When he uh, bangs into the table during the bits while he's walking yeah. between the window and the and the wall, uh, you know, the woman next to me in the audience jumped like because that that was not like a it didn't feel like a fake bump. It's like Joaquin Phoenix really just rammed a table. Uh, it just seems oh so God, committed. Yeah. Uh, there's, a, there's a moment where he's jumping up and down where um, Philip Seymour Hoffman. I love that. I loved that. Yeah, that was so. That, by the way, just had said so much about the relationship. I love that. It seems the actors found that moment, and Paul Thomas Anderson managed to capture it and get it in there. That was lovely. Actually, go ahead and describe it, Dingus, because I I cut you off. No, no, I'm I'm glad uh, you, you saw it too. It, th- there's a, there's a moment where he's crossing the room back to the window and he's just jumping up and down. And there's this chandelier that's hanging down with a, with a metal part that's poking down, and you can it's just like a see. Spike. <laughs> yeah, it's like a spike. And Philip Seymour Hoffman gets up and puts his hand up like you would to protect protect a child's head who's about to like fall into a table or something. And it just felt like such an organic moment. Like, oh my god, I could see him. There's no way to stage that. It just felt like such a great moment where where one actor is protecting another. And like you said, you can see them having developed a relationship. And there's a lot of moments in this that felt like actors workshopping and improving together and have a real relationship. I just love that moment. Yeah. Yeah. They CG that spike. <laughs> how dare you, Kelly Wand? How dare you? How dare you rob us of that? Saying <laughs> uh, techniques cool, but um, what was the question? Uh, I had uh, the woman sitting next to me. Uh, I wasn't with her, but there was a, there were a couple women sitting next to us at the theater who uh, watched it. And the the review I caught afterwards, <laughs> the woman said, and this is a quote: "Well, the scenes are so long and unnecessary." <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I've never heard that before. I thought I heard everything. I've never heard that said. The scenes were so unnecessary. <laughs> That's kind of true. I won't begrudge her. Can both things be the? Can both things be true? <laughs> Either they're unnecessary or they're long. I don't know that. If it has to be short to be necessary. Well, sure. and it's also as if there's any part that exists other than that. You know, <laughs> other than the scenes. Uh, that... Now I miss America because no one. After after the movie, I just heard someone go, yeah, cool, but it didn't make any sense. And I went, yeah, I know. Now I kind of missed the long, unnecessary. <laughs> Wait, how old was she? Uh, not that I'm not interested. 30, 40? I mean, it seemed like uh, uh, some... Yeah. That's way outside my world. I mean, it wasn't like a young, dumb person commenting. It was somebody, no. I presume... Young, dumb people grow into middle-aged dumb people. I've that is a good I, I had one of those before my movie, yeah. What what was your observation before? And your- what do you mean by had? Uh, uh, the girl behind me before the movie, I don't know what this was apropos of, but she said, uh, I'm really uncomfortable with arm wrestling. <laughs> I wonder how she... Her date said... Fuck! All right, I gotta move back there. That's too good. You've seen Over the Top too many times? And she didn't know what that meant. Nice. That's an L.A. kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, speaking of L.A. kinds of things, I thought the casting of Jesse Plemons was absolutely inspired. Holy yeah. cats, that guy was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Wait, who is he? Which guy? Who He's guy? the guy from Battleship, Kelly Wand. There's huh? two guys. Oh, well, Matt Damon. Damon. He's back. Matt Damon. Awesome. Yeah, he's everywhere. Yeah. I like to think I launched that guy's career by calling well, him. Damon guy from Battleship. 
Well, and hearing him uh, and seeing him uh, as Philip Seymour Hoffman's son. I mean, good Lord, that could, yeah. couldn't be a more perfect match. That was amazing. Yeah, that's a good point. You should well, always play it. Well, let's let's talk about Philip Seymour Hoffman. So, uh, Joaquin Phoenix, very physical. Dingus, he didn't really understand the need for some of the showy stuff, uh, but he was certainly committed. Uh, he broke a toilet, so he's got that going for him. Uh, let's talk about Philip Seymour Hoffman. How did you guys feel about that? He's good. He's like doing an Orson Welles kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I missed him in There Will Be Blood, too. Like It's the one without him, in a way. Paul Thomas Anderson canon. Yep. Is he in Hard... Oh, he is in Hard Eight, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. That's like that's before he was Philip Seymour Hoffman, though. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's, the, that's the Philip Seymour Hoffman from the Twister era. Uh, and he's in it a lot, and he says a lot of funny shit. So, if... I... Yeah, it's worth seeing. Damn it. Kind of, isn't it? It was a movie. I felt like it's a movie. A meandering nightmare. Well, like I said, there's, there's a lot of right. there's certainly a lot craft. of craft there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dingus, how was Philip Seymour Hoffman for you? You, you. It sounds like you didn't like the uh, yelling in the jail scene. Hmm. Uh, uh, no, I didn't. It, because because it felt it felt like an improv and an acting class. It just felt okay. like it devolved into this, uh, you know two guys yelling fuck you at each other over and over and over again. And maybe that's subtext and that's fine, but it, that felt like an acting exercise. And it, did it, remind, I, I liked the way guide them. Well, did, fuck you is re fuck you. Uh, did it remind you of any other Philip Seymour Hoffman scenes in Paul Thomas Anderson movies? Uh, yeah, it reminds me of all of them. After salesman, but there, there's, you know, there's nothing, there's no performance in this movie I hate to say that, but I like as much as Adam Sandler in Punch Drunk Love. Right, right. Uh, there, well, there really is no, and, and part of it too is there. I, yeah, part of it is a, a problem with who who because like, there's really nobody to like or root for or or sympathize with, and and uh, I don't need that. Well, you know what? You don't get it in There Will Be Blood, and well, I guess you kind of do with his son and with Paul Dano. I I don't know, but you're right. I'm I'm, I'm with you there, Kelly Wan. So I sympathized with Daniel Plainview. Because he's surrounded by fucking idiots. <laughs> These people. Yeah. Uh, but dude, I also partly think, as I'm watching it unfold and realizing, okay, this is a Scientology thing. It's kind of fascinating seeing uh, them representing the processing, which is those crazy personality tests. Like that, uh, seeing the brainwashing stuff. Uh, like some of that's fascinating. But ultimately, I, I, I was watching it sort of thinking, well, why should I care about this? You, you know, Scientology is just this content-free cult that, that thrives on modern media and brainwashing and stuff. And I don't care about it. I don't really care. It just doesn't matter to me. It just seems like something that's ridiculous. And it, I know they make a lot of money, but uh, I, there was nothing here that I really cared about. No people that I really cared about. And... Uh, I just wonder how much that was an obstacle for me. Um, hmm. Kelly Wan, you say you don't need that. You don't need Kelly Wan. Does, did you did you care about Scientology? Like as did as a story about Scientology? Did, did it work for you there? Uh, a little bit, just because I don't know much about it. So, mm-hmm. and I'm curious how people get sucked into cults. Because the thing is, it's like the Joaquin Phoenix character was a broken kind of poor buffoon, mm-hmm. but a lot of rich people exactly. who seem intelligent get sucked into this shit and i just wonder why that is it's interesting i mean 
Because there was no, in a way, there's there's almost like no dramatic tension about Joaquin Phoenix. I mean, the guy's already, as right. I said, you know, he's broken. Of course, he could have run into anybody. Right, yeah. exactly. This could be a movie. First Jesus that, freak he runs into. Right. <laughs> this exactly. could be a guy in a in a sandwich I board saying yeah. the end is near in the street corner. Uh, he got on the wrong boat, literally. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, so so that yeah. So then again, it's not even about Scientology, is it? It's about just a random thing. And so it's maybe that's why I felt disappointed too. Was I wanted more? Well, it seemed at times like maybe we were going to see more about uh, the legal problems that he was having, about Scientology's thuggish tendency to silence uh, criticism. I thought we might see more of that, and that just kind of fell by the wayside after being briefly flirted with, which seemed odd to me. Because even the Laura Dern character, who's like promoting it, is all like, "Wait, you changed the name? You changed that one word?" Yeah. And he snapped. Like he can't even handle that much. Right. Inspection of his words. Right. You would so, had, right. And at that point, I was thinking, okay, we're going to see a movie where he falls apart. And he yeah. does. He then gets this big it. empire in England or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I will say, by the way, no one can look stricken like Laura Dern. <laughs> Good Lord. She's great. Uh. Yeah. Your, your question for Kelly is really well, well asked, though, because as I watched this, I kept thinking about how I felt about the social network. Uh, in that all of this is well put together, but I couldn't care less about the drama around Facebook. Great. And, and then as, as this, I I felt like I, I should be invested in this. I love these two actors, but I really don't care about this religion. If this is all they're going to do with it, I couldn't, I, and I, and I just don't care about it. Well, Dingus, that is awesome. That's because I, yeah. I, I exactly get this social network kind of vibe. Like, great craft, but man, this is a story that I couldn't care. Yeah, very. And the same perplexity for me. Like, what is wrong with you people? And Facebook's, Facebook's bigger than Scientology, and it's still just as baffling to me. <laughs> Seriously, what the fuck? It's not a feature. It's like just having a needle stuck in your eye for fun. <laughs> <laughs> that came out wrong. I mean, perfectly. Uh, Kelly, one. Yes, go ahead. I will say this. I love Dingus's point as well. But I will. I think that social network is sort of about Facebook, and it feels like Facebook. It's like right. we're not supposed to care about it. But it, in this, I didn't think it, the movie was much about Scientology. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Charlatanism. That's what it's kind of about. It's an Albert Gantry tale. Right. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah. That's all I got out of it. An addiction. And you also got a naked cellist out of it. <laughs> That's what she said. One, two, three, uh, not only you and really? me, got one baby that's free, one and one. That's on you, that's on you. That's not what I meant. Can't we just redo that? I was kind of enjoying talking about the master. <laughs> well, you have bigger fish to fry this week, Kelly Wand. No, we don't. Do we? Oh, oh yes, like, we do. We had that guy who said, hey, you guys never talk about interesting movies. Like, I kind of agreed with him. Like, we had, like, five weeks of just fucking dread Resident Evil. Well, what do you see? Let's, so, Dingus, you're three by three before we get into it. Didn't you even spoil? Like, did you say the three by three was inspired by something with a cup? How did you put that? What? A sword cane from Tron Legacy, I believe, is what he actually got. <laughs> I don't know why I found that so funny. I feel like such a fool for just no. giggling incessantly at myself it is before funny. I could even spit out the words. Um, but no, Dingus, did you... I, I agree with Tom. I, I, it was pretty funny. <laughs> Your laughter made sense to me when I found out what it was. <laughs> oh, it's kind of obviously the sword came. That's worth the well, I thought that... Coherent breathing. I'm, 
Uh, Dingus, I'm assuming the 3x3, three three, best use of a prop, was inspired by uh, Anna Kendrick and a cup, or no? Uh, did you not Did you not mint reference that? Uh, no, I didn't. A cup figures in, but it has nothing to do with Anna Kendrick. Uh, huh. I guess, I guess Dingus didn't see Pitch Perfect. I guess not. <laughs> oh, because I, as I was watching it, I was like, oh, the Dingus, I thought you said something about uh, a cup. All right, well, never mind. Uh, well, then in that case, I might use it. Anna Kendrick's a two-cup. Or, or, okay. I don't know what that means, but I'm not <laughs> That's not the silence I wanted. Uh, so Kelly wants. So we spoke briefly, I think, last week. We asked about end of watch. Let's talk a little briefly about Pitch Perfect. Kelly, one, you have not seen Pitch Perfect, I'm assuming. No, please don't spoil anything for me except the ending and the rest of the movie. It has me to say that it is impossible to spoil Pitch Perfect for any person on this earth. Huh? <laughs> uh, on this earth was the qualifier at the end. Kelly Wan, if you have a problem with the ending of Meek's Cutoff, you might also have a problem with the ending of Pitch Perfect. <laughs> I don't have a problem with Meek's Cut. <laughs> uh, so Dingus and I saw Pitch Perfect, and uh, I, I'm assuming, I don't know for sure, but Dingus, I'm assuming you loved it. Oh, God, I loved it so much. Yeah. and uh, I mean, I really liked it a lot as a critic. <laughs> Uh, it is so ebullient. Like that's the word that I, I think I think of. Like uh, it's it just I was just grinning the whole time I, I watched that thing. I can't imagine why on earth does it only have? Why is it only at seventy six? Why do one out of four reviews of Pitch Perfect? Why are they negative? Who could watch this and not be won over by it? How do you not get ch- charming? Is the wrong word. I don't know. How do you not get sucked in by this movie? How do you not? Uh... Sucked as <laughs> And Anna Kendrick has, I, I think, I don't know that this is just my like, like she's she's like she's cute and she's smart and she's a great actress. But I think I wouldn't normally say this about someone, but I think she's really got star power. Does that just make me sound L.A. and goofy to say that? She's no, no, you're cute. absolutely, you're absolutely right. She's so. Uh, I mean, we we watched her in the end of Watch and then in this. And she can do either a supporting role and bring a huge amount of power to it, or or just open this movie, which I can't understand why it's not making more money. It's been well marketed, and she's great. Yeah, yeah, she really carries it too. I mean, it's it's very much ensemble. It's very generous, uh, but man, she does a great job of carrying it. And Dingus, you had uh, mentioned Brittany Snow, who is just luminous in it. She's amazing, uh, and certainly Rebel Wilson. Everybody knows she's funny from Bridesmaids. Um, and even the guys in it are, are enjoyable. Oh, I, there's guys in it. Well, there's the evil uh, acapella Same team as all dudes. Right. Ooh, fuckers. Oh. But the male, the, the male name? lead. I don't know what the, who who this guy is. He's this guy named Skylar a- uh, Aston, I think. And he's really good. He's he's yeah. funny. Yeah. He's, I, I, you know, to be he's honest, I don't Aston. know. Who, I don't know who did the singing. I don't know what the singing. You know, I don't know how they they worked out the singing. I have no clue about that. But uh, but but everybody sells their part perfectly. I think. So, Kelly Wand, uh, it's this year's Bridesmaids. Yeah. <laughs> Don't go, eh? That's a good thing. <laughs> oh. Well, I guess it's got the same actress in it, but not the one I like. 
No, just because it's uh, it's just it it's just very talented people and they're well, they're doing great ensemble work. Come on, and Anna Kendrick is every bit as appealing as Kristen. That's Whitney. true. Uh, That's I a good think. point. I forgot she was in it. What's she wearing oh. it? Oh, I, just there, a, cup. I just got the cup thing. Okay, it just, it just suddenly occurred. To me. What size yeah. cup is she wearing it? Uh, Anna Kendrick. By the way, there is, there's a lot of very uh, very sexy sequences. I will say that. There, there's a, there's plenty of cheesecake, Kelly Wand, and there's even uh, it, you know what, Kelly Wand, if you want to see a really buff dude lift up his shirt, that's in there for you as well. Mm. <laughs> I know that you're considering it <laughs> just for the contrast. Uh, all right. So in that case, I remember uh, thinking during the, when I saw the Magic Mike trailer, oh, the girl's not bad, but didn't see it. Magic Mike is good too. It's no pitch perfect. I'll say that much. Uh, uh, so in that case, then Dingus, if I have it wrong, then I'm going to go ahead and make my number three pick for best use of a prop, Anna Kendrick with the little plastic cup during her audition in Pitch Perfect. That's got. She? she just does this amazing. So the, the the premise of Pitch Perfect is uh, it's kind of like Bring It On, but with acapella singers. I mean, it's it's a it's a teen comedy. It's about college kids um but it's it's well done it is enthusiastic it has great musical numbers all the actors are 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 just they're they're just having a great time they're connecting uh there's funny jokes um so uh there's a there's a scene where she does an audition and she sings a cappella doing this kind of stunt work with a little plastic cup uh, and to say that it doesn't sound like much, but it just my jaw was on the floor watching her because you know, you know not only is Anna Kendrick like she's really cute, she's r- really smart. You know, we've heard her talk on in interviews and podcasts before, but just to also see, good lord, she's got rhythm and she can apparently sing. Uh, so that's my number three pick for best use of a prop was Anna Kendrick with that plastic cup. That's a, that's really a great choice because I, I had eliminated MacGuffins and weapons. Uh, or props used as weapons, and that's per- that's perfect. I I didn't even think about that. That's great. Because I th- that's right. When I saw that Dingus, I was like, oh, that's why Dingus picked this as the three by three. He wanted to talk about Anna Kendrick's audition scene. Uh, all right, all right. So uh, so do we need to say any more about uh, the uh, category, Dingus? It's just best use of a prop, as you mentioned. No weapons. You were personally ruling out MacGuffins. Uh, yeah, yeah. That that's uh, that's it. Okay, and laser Michael Sheen's laser cane from Tron, technically a weapon, so we will not be using that as well. And Sean Connery using the umbrella on the beach in uh, the one of those Indiana Jones movies. Oh, right, right, that shoots down. Uh, yeah. thinks, yes, I forgot about Cause that. Because it's a weapon for the birds and the rain. <laughs> no, the birds are a weapon. All right, so my number three then is uh, Pitch Perfect. Kelly Wan, what is your number three pick for best use of a prop in a film or motion picture event? I may need your help, Tom. I'm, I'm here for you, Kelly Wan. What's that thing that Quint's eating? In, um, it's a saltine. Uh, it's a saltine. He eats it in three bites. He eats, uh, I think it's the the one corner and then the other corner, and then he eats the whole, the, you know, the half, the remaining half. But it's just a regular old saltine. Looks like a shark's tooth after the second bite. But I thought it was a water chestnut, just from the color. That would be weird to show up at the Amityville town meeting with a water chestnut. A salt well, I, thought he, I always thought he was eating like a, something fish related to prove that he'd already eaten any fish in a game of combat. I'm eating this dried shark right yeah. now. <laughs> I'm eating this smoked salmon jerky to impress you all. 
well, you know, I say, I say now that it's a saltine, Caliwan, but I, I could be wrong, but I think all these years I've been pretty sure it's a saltine that he eats in three bites. It's the, it, a saltine is a three-biter, but the crunch <laughs> sounds to basso, bassoon profundo. Well, that was the beginning of Skywalker Sound. You know, that's, they, they do that post-processing sound there. But a water chestnut they might have used in the Foley <laughs> artist's lair. That's a good point. Palette. Right, right. I just thought it was cool because he, he was basically saying, I don't need to stop snacking right. to negotiate <laughs> with you, Amityville Islander bumpkins. Amity. <laughs> Not Amityville. It's a different scary movie. Although, <laughs> if the shark was possessed, it would be even scarier. What ah, right, yes. So the saltine cracker, or whatever Quint is eating in uh, Jaws during his, for ten, I'll catch it and I'll kill it. Speech. Amityville's eye is also like a doll's eye because the doll's eye is haunted too. Did I call it Amityville? Is that what you're? Are you giving me a hard time? Because I did no, call no. it Amityville, didn't I? No, I think I did call it Amityville. I do that all the time. Wait, wait. Do you, what did he? What were the rates he offered? Three to to find it, but for ten he'll catch it and he'll kill it, head, tail, whole damn thing. Didn't he say something like he'd hang it? Or was that another movie I'm thinking of? I don't think he said he'd hang it. I'll no. hang it for 30. He didn't say that? No, and for 30, he'll have it mounted. Oh, he does say, by the way, he does say, he does say, when he's, before he burns the engine of the orca out, he says, the taxidermy man is going to have a heart attack when he sees what I brung him. <laughs> hey, no way. He doesn't say that. He, he says, totally says that. He says, I don't think it's a zombie, chief. <laughs> okay. That's totally a lie from Jaws. <laughs> I have another question about Jaws. Okay. Who got the money? I mean, did Quint get, like, did his foundation get the money, or did Brody collect it from the town because he was the survivor, or did he have to split it with Hooper, even though Hooper well, was a pussy hanging around after the cage got disintegrated? For all we know, Kelly Wan, the little short dude in the orange cap was like Clint's lifetime companion, and... Quint. And, and got the Quint <laughs> and uh, got the money. So he's a little helper buddy. What'd you just call him? Clint. I like how how yeah. Kelly's uh, Kelly kind of had a New England accent when he said, "Who got the money?" <laughs> was that your uh, Robert? Uh, the guy goes cash or check, and the woman goes, "It's not funny at all." To make that joke. Then Quint shows them what's funny. Yeah, I love that woman. That, that woman is great. I thought about it. Well, the, yeah, that might be on a, that might appear on a three by three. Quint was all. Oh, uh, I see. All right, so the salt in the room, and that woman was talking. Is my point. Right, she says, "I don't think that's very funny," and he didn't say anything during that. He's like waiting for the right moment. Okay, sorry. All right, yeah. Dingus, what is your number three pick then for uh, best use of a prop? So Kelly's was a salting cracker, yes. Yes. Yeah. All right. From what movie? A little movie called Jaws, and Dingus, <laughs> you didn't rule out snacks, by the way. That's a good point. I should have. Yeah. Oh well. I like saltines. By the way, isn't a uh, that would be a prop? Like that would be you know you would get the prop master would give the actor a new saltine for every take. It's Absolutely, also a yeah. weapon against other cracker companies. It's a weapon against whistling, <laughs> <laughs> which he does do. <laughs> which I think they had in the box. Uh, it's probably the worst conversation. Uh, All right, Diggs. What is your number three pick? All right, here's a quote from my number three. Jesus, Joey. Uh, if you had Last said Jesus, if you had said Jesus, what? If you said Jesus, Tom, I would have gotten it. That's from Miller's Crossing, but I don't know who says Jesus, Joey. 
I don't know that one, Dingus. Uh, there's no way you're going to know it, because uh, it's just, uh, I didn't realize this was the line, and it's followed by Jesus Richie right after that. So Jesus Joey uh, happens um, right after the use of the prop, and Joey is played by Viggo Mortensen, and the movie is History of Violence. And the prop ah. is the keys that, jeez, um, what's his name? William Hurt fishes out of his pocket. Uh, I love this little use of a prop. It's just very quick, but uh, but Viggo Mortensen has gone back to Philadelphia to deal with some mob difficulties, and uh, his brother is trying to kill him. And his brother's henchmen totally flubbed the whole thing, and it seems that Joey has run off uh, and left the front door open, and then uh, William Hurt, who is Richie, I think, uh, runs out of the front door to try to find his brother to kill him, and then the door slams behind him. <laughs> and William Hurt's reaction is, let me get out my keys. <laughs> and you see him fish in his pocket, he pulls out his ring of keys, and he starts to go through them. And I just love that that's the, that's the, the thing that the actor does, and that he's using this little prop of the keys, just, I'm going to go through my keys here, and of course the door opens and there's Joey. In any other action scene, Dingus, the somebody would have just like th- flown through a glass window or, or something. <laughs> right. Yeah. All right. Keys in history of violence. Very good. Uh, my number two. Uh, I'm doing a little stuff on the fly with my list here, so uh, uh, let me put that on the runners up. So here's my number two. What do you mean you're doing stuff on the fly? What does that well, mean? Well, because I, I I'm cha- I, I subbed in Anna Kendrick with the the plastic cup for Pitch Perfect, because um, right. I thought that was going to be what you were going to use to introduce the topic. Uh, and if you're not going to use it, I wanted to get it on the list. So it is displacing my number three, and I just had to do some quick uh, adjusting. Math. Fair enough. All right, so my number two is... Um, so uh, I haven't seen this in a while. I did look up um, clips of it on YouTube, uh, and it's... it's Technically from a Tennessee Williams play, so but it is a movie, uh, and I don't know if they do this in the play, but in the movie for Night of the Iguana, where Richard Burton plays a former priest who is uh, washed up, uh, now he's a tour guide down in, uh, I think, Mexico, um, and he snaps at one point while he's driving around a tour bus. That's his job of old ladies from a Baptist church somewhere uh, who are down uh, in Mexico. And he snaps, and he wants to go see, I think it's like his mentor or someone. So he takes the tour bus, he drives his tour bus full of old ladies to this place, um, and to make sure that they don't leave, that they don't escape, because they'll tell his boss and he'll get in trouble, uh, he takes the distributor cap off of the the engine of the bus. So for the whole this whole part of the movie, he's carrying a distributor cap for a bus uh, during all the scenes. You know, there's a he's got a, a former lover of his is at this location, and there's a, a girl that he seduced who's there, and it's basically this kind of silly battle of the sexes thing, but very Tennessee Williams, very earnest, um, and it's just Richard Burton doing all these scenes, just clutching a distributor cap. I, I love that. Uh-huh. So there's my number two pick, the distributor cap in uh, Night of the Iguana. Night of the Iguana. 
Kelly Wand, you, of all people, would love Night of the Iguana. You should see it. Mm, I don't see movies about amphibians. <laughs> Iguanas are reptiles, so oh, you're safe. Oh. <laughs> uh, all right, so, Kelly Wand, what is your number two pick for best use of a prop? Uh, oh, my number two choice is um, in Drop Dead Gorgeous. Did you see that movie with Kirsten Dunst? And Denise Richards in the beauty contest. I'm not even sure that exists. Is that a real thing? Uh, there's like a fire, and this chick uh, gets her arm burned, but a beer can soldered to it, and it's the mom, and she tries to take a drink out of it. So that's number two. I thought that was kind of funny. So the beer but, can in Drop Dead Gorgeous. Yeah, and the prosthetic hand. Hmm. It's got a, I'll have to check that one out. Is it as good as Night of the Iguana? Mm. <laughs> when you, Tom, when you said, is that a thing, it made me think of, um, I can see your toner through your jeans. <laughs> that's, 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 that's my that's dick. Not a thing. That's, <laughs> that's a thing. Kelly Wand would love so many of the lines in Pitch Perfect. Okay, here you go, uh, Dingus. You ready for this, Dingus? Dingus, you call it a dude? <laughs> Kelly, one, we're just going to do lines from Pitch Perfect on the podcast for the rest of the evening. Are you okay with that? Uh, who's her love interest? I have a lot of sex, Kelly. <laughs> Thing is, we knew that. <laughs> okay, here you go, Kelly. Wand. One of the producers of Pitch Perfect, and she put herself in the movie, Elizabeth Banks. Yeah. What the oh. heck? How do you feel about that, Kelly Wan? Do you now want to see it? Yeah, she's hard to predict, Elizabeth Banks. You never know what she's up to. Do. Right. <laughs> is she? How much in in it is she, as it were? Uh, not a lot. I mean, there. It's just kind of like they. Sh- it, it feels a little grafted on, but it's cute. It, it earns it. Uh, and do you know who John Michael Higgins is? Like you'd recognize his face. The uh, guy from Magnum PI. Did I get his, Did I get that name wrong? No, he's making a Magnum P.I. joke. Oh, I don't know who's in Magnum P.I. named that, but uh, no. There's, not... a, there's a character named Higgins. Uh, it, you know um, you know, Best in Show, Kelly? Yes, vaguely. Uh, she's in it as much as Fred, uh, Fred ah. what's his name? Fred Willard. Uh, Fred Willard doing the announcement. Like it's the same character. Yeah. Is she in it as much as Fred Willard and Wally? Mm, yes, that's about not that's interested. About fair. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, all right. So, uh, Dingus, what is your number two pick for best use of a prop in a film or motion picture? All right. Here's a quote from it. Mm-hmm. Tell me about an ambush. Tell me about an ambush. I ambushed you with a cup of coffee. Yeah, but what's your number your number two pick for best use of a prop? That's a good point. Uh, my number two point... I ambushed you with a cup of coffee? What? Kelly Wan, do you know what that is? Sounds like a meat cute. And, uh... Oh, wait, The Machinist. That is, that is a meat cute, isn't it? Uh, there is a... Isn't there a, a violence committed with a carafe of coffee in History of Violence, if I'm not mistaken? Oh, yeah, very good point. But the, but that's a weapon, so I couldn't be... Ah, right. Similar to, by the way, the little coffee maker in the beginning of Payback. Also no. uses a weapon. Uh, so no, I don't. I don't know. Ambush you with a cup of coffee. It can't be another Glengarry Glen Ross quote. I think we've run out of that. Little big man. Mm. I don't know. That Dennis. has an ambush in it, but I don't think coffee and 
Colonel Custer, Colonel Muster. <laughs> uh, no, it's not. But I but I forgot until you said that, Tom, that I think this movie uh, has David Mamet as one of its writers. Um, it's a little movie called Ronin, which I've used recently. Oh, right. Yes, yes. Tom's and always what I care about Ronin. What what I had thought before I before I rewatched the uh, the opening parts of Ronan was just the moment where um, De Niro's Sam uh, messes with or or outs Sean Bean as a total poser by ambushing him with a cup of coffee. He sets a cup of coffee on the edge of the table, and Sean Bean is being this blustery. You know, I'm going to take over the whiteboard while Natasha McCone is over there talking on the phone, trying to renegotiate the price. And I'm going to give you guys a little, uh, a little idea, a little lesson in how ambushes work. And then De Niro's gotten sick of this by now because he's almost gotten them killed. And, and De Niro puts his cup of coffee next to the table and then he backs, uh, Sean Bean up because Sean Bean is armed. And De Niro is, and he says, look, you've got a gun. Why don't you come at me? And he just backs him up and then backs him up into the cup of coffee, which burns, which, you know, turns over onto Sean Bean, and then he, he and then De Niro disarms him. But what I hadn't remembered was that De Niro's character uses a similar trick with a cup of coffee two scenes earlier <laughs> against Stellan Skarsgård to, to see who Stellan Skarsgård really is. Because uh, Stellan Skarsgård is just pretending to be this inept guy, and De Niro puts his cup of coffee again next to the edge of the table and pretends to do a spill and try to clean it up when Stellan Skarsgård sits down and then knocks it off, and Stellan Skarsgård snaps without even thinking about it and catches it as it falls in this great physical non-faked... Uh, might be faked. <laughs> that was CG, ding. So that was totally CG. But it's this great little uh, nice reflexes moment. So, so there's there. But the the real moment is this this use of the prop to to trap Sean Bean. Tom, did you follow that story? Every time Dingus talks about Ronan, it makes me think I should see it again. That's what I that's what I get from Dingus. It makes me feel like I just saw it. <laughs> I really, I really, really like Ronan. Uh, I don't understand why why people denigrate it so, but I think it's really good. Is that the one where the car gets shot by a rocket launcher? Uh, no, this is the one, I think, where aliens come down and take all the cars away. <laughs> all right, so let's see. That's a cup of coffee. Uh, we have a, a beer can and uh, a plastic version. cup. Yeah, uh, a lot of you, a lot of, like, drinking utensils here. Uh, I have I have three, well, you know, now two. I have, yeah, they're all oral. I have uh, runners-up for... It involved cups. That it didn't make my list, but cups are uh, cups are big in movies. Yeah, Cooper proved that. Hey, that was one of them. I will now strike that one off of the list. Thanks, Kelly Wand. Uh, so no more uh, Hooper with his styrofoam cup for my runners up. Um, Wait, I thought you were. You just said that, all that shit, and then you well, would still have gone on to go. Also, speaking of cups, but I didn't. <laughs> no, I didn't pick it. That was a runner-up. Is what I'm saying. Oh, all I, right. I did not pick Hooper. I also didn't pick Val Kilmer with his cup in Tombstone. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, damn it. <laughs> uh, and but I did pick Anna Kendrick with her plastic cup in uh, Pitch Perfect. But my number one. So I love it when uh, actors 
do things that are completely organic. We talked about the moment in The Master. This is one of those involving a prop. Um, the prop features prominently in the movie in a couple of scenes. But early on uh, in House of the Devil, Jocelyn Donahue has a, has a scene where she's just waiting on someone. And she's sitting on the steps and she's listening to a Sony Walkman. Later on, the Walkman is featured in this great kind of musical number, you might call it. Uh, but after she's been waiting on the steps for someone to pick her up and somebody doesn't show up and she's waiting and she's waiting and they're not showing up and she's waiting. And she finally gets up to leave. She drops the Walkman. Uh, and, and the actress, you know, that wasn't planned. It's just... She, you know, they were shooting the scene, and she's supposed to get up and walk away. When she gets up, she drops the Walkman. And I love how she picks it up and looks at it to make sure it's okay, and then just walks off and finishes the scene. Uh, I just love that kind of thing happening. Like if somebody if somebody's going to, like, drop something or accidentally break something, uh, I love seeing that. And I love that Ty West used that take. <laughs> she drops it. And it made me think, so a brief little story here. I once did a community theater production of Hound of the Baskervilles, and... I was smoking an actual pipe on stage, um, and I just what remember. What was in it? It was, just, it was just tobacco. It was just me oh, doing. That's you know. not committing to the role. <laughs> Lucy Lou is in it. <laughs> right. So, and there, there's just a scene where I'm like talking to the actor playing Watson, and uh, and again, it's just community theater, very low stakes, but I've got a pipe lit. And uh, at one point, I'm talking to the guy playing Watson, and the you know pipe has a, a stem, and then it has the bowl, and they're separate pieces, so you can take them apart and clean them. And at one point, I'm puffing on the pipe, and the bowl falls off. You know, I've got the stem in my mouth, and the bowl falls <laughs> off, and all the little burning embers <laughs> scatter around on the stage, and I'm thinking I have to pick them up. And all I remember saying for how to cover was, um, and this is what I did, I was like, Watson, I've dropped my pipe. And then I cleaned it up. <laughs> that was how I covered. That's and not covering up. That was the best I could come up with at the, Little, the, audience. Rock, at the Little Rock Community Theater production of Hound of the Baskervilles back in the, the 90s. Wait, to what reaction? <laughs> I don't I mean, I, you know, there was probably oh, too like busy. 15 people. I was too busy like, making sure the stage didn't burn down. But I just, <laughs> you know, I, I think of someone like, I, I, I mean, that was stupid. Everybody knows, okay, he, obviously he wasn't supposed to drop the pipe and he didn't know what to say. So he just said a stupid line and it made no sense. And the guy's not very good. Whereas Jocelyn Donahue, like, I love that she, you know, when she drops it, she's like, oh, rats, I dropped my Walkman. And she picks it up, makes sure it's okay, and then and then walks on. Like, it was a very organic moment. She didn't feel the need to announce the most obvious thing. When you drop something, you don't announce to people in the room, I have dropped this. You know, I did the exact wrong thing, and I screwed it up. You should have so, worked it into your deduction. I should have. They, I should. There should have been a... See, Watson? Right. Told you that hound is the same exactly. consistency as tobacco. <laughs> so that's my number Famous one pick is, is, uh, is Jocelyn Donahue accidentally dropping the Walkman in the opening of uh, House of the Devil. Wait, did anyone film your play? Because I want that to be my number one. Now. <laughs> Good Lord, I hope not. <laughs> you just reminded me of something I did on stage. Yeah? Yeah? Did you cover well for it, Dingus? No, I, I totally... Fucked everything up, actually. And did it involve a prop? Yes. <laughs> All right, fess up. All right. Well, this was uh, this is when I was doing summer theater in Prestonsville, Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's no Little Rock. That's no Little Rock community. That's cool. Uh, it was a dry county. 
much like we saw in the movie uh, Lawless. Lawless. I was going to say Pusher, but that wouldn't have worked. Um, and it was an outdoor theater. And uh, it was a production of The Mystery of Edwin Drood. And uh, I was playing uh. Philip Bax, the uh, stage manager. So I was on stage the entire time with a little desk full of books and things I was taking notes on during my entire play while, while the play is going on. And uh, it's an outdoor theater in the middle of the summer in Kentucky. So the main action is on the stage. So I'm doing stuff, but I'm not supposed to draw focus. I'm just supposed to do my thing. And every now and then I'll have something that is supposed to contribute to the play. But most of the time I'm just supposed to sit there and be an extra. Um, but at one point during a major scene, there was this moth that was like the size of my hand. that was just flipping and flopping around on the stage right near my desk. And it was just huge. And it was just flipping. It was just this enormous moth. And I could tell that the folks in the front rows were starting to notice it and starting to giggle. And I realized I have to deal with this because I'm the only person near it. Uh, but I have to do it in character. I can't just go and pretend. I, so for whatever reason, I thought it would be a good idea to take one of the huge books I had on my desk. I walked over held the bo- this book at chest level and dropped it flat so that it's just smushed this gigantic moth. And it was a huge laugh, but it totally disrupted whatever was going on on stage. And the guy who was the lead got so mad at me for good reason, because I totally fucked up the scene. But, you know, I took care of the moth. Yeah, you also killed a creature, Dingus. I hope you're happy. You it, was a, it was a prop moth. Yeah, that's a weapon. Ah. Yeah, that is a weapon. You also should have announced that you were killing the moth the very loudly. Did. Exactly. Yeah. See, Tom called that covering because he verbalized what he'd done. <laughs> That's right. And then referred to it as covering up. <laughs> Watson, I've in- dropped my pipe. Oh, yeah, right. So no one noticed. They think it's part of the play. Yeah, you, you can go, hey, actor playing Watson, I dropped my pipe. <laughs> right. Hey, in character Watson, I, Sherlock Holmes, just dropped my pipe. Right, right. <laughs> All right, Kelly Wand, what uh, then is, does your number two use of a prop in a film or motion picture involve someone dropping something or killing a, a living creature? Yes. Uh-oh. All right, what do you got? Wait, what was the first one? Dropping or killing? Dropping oh, something? Oh, no. Neither of them. All right, okay. Uh, Carl Urban's chin in Dread. See what you've done, Dingus? Yeah. Are you happy? <laughs> no. Uh, all right, uh, Dingus, what is your number one pick for a prop? If it's not Anna Kendrick with the plastic cup in Pitch Perfect. <laughs> Thank you, Kelly Wand, exactly. Uh, what is it? Wait, is that his, that's really his number one? Uh, I'm assuming. Uh, sorry, I didn't ask that question. <laughs> yeah, so Dingus, what do you got? Your number one use of a prop in a film. Oh, I thought that was my number two. No, your number two was Drop Dead Gorgeous. Uh, Tom did say number two just then, but I see, assume you gave your number one. Oh. Uh, right. Math, man, math. Mm. Tom mathed me. <laughs> Sorry. All right, here's a quote from my number one. Here's your pen back. Oh, dingus. I didn't know it from that. Jesus Christ. How do you yeah. not know it? Come on, Kelly Wan, you know this one. Wait a minute. Well, he actually, does he actually say it? I could be just... I could be, like, imagining the line spoken in Alien. Yeah, that's it. Oh, I love that moment. Because oh. what's more vivid for me is the look that... Whose pen is it? It's not Dallas's. 
Whose pin is it, Dingus? Is it Ash's? It's Brett. It is Brett. Okay, it's Harry Dean Stanton's pin. Right. <laughs> and who borrows it from him, Ash? Dallas. Dallas. Yeah. Okay, well, see, I didn't even remember the right actors. All right, so I would have gotten it wrong on a quiz. Ash is only programmed to say lines about zombies. <laughs> All right, so Dingus, explain the scene and what, what is it about this uh, use of a prop that you like? Uh, this is what inspires this category. So the uh, the uh, Ash has try is trying to at at Dallas's behest cut um, the creature off of is it Kane Kane's yes. face, and uh, th- this is the first time we're introduced to acid blood. And Dallas says it's going to eat through the hole, and so they run down below decks to see where the where the uh, the blood is going, and then they run down to the next deck. I love all of this. How they're trying to figure out where is it going, where is it going. Uh, they don't know. They they understand their ship very well, but much like you would run downstairs in in a house to try to figure out where is this going to come through in the ceiling, they're trying to figure out where the the acid blood is going to come through, and it eats through at a certain point. And Dallas, uh, Tom Skerritt, uh, says, give, give me your pen to Brett, who is, um, Harry Dean Sam. And he takes the pen and he, and he just touches it up to the, to the acid blood and brings it down in the, the top of the pen smoking. And what I love about this prop moment is how he says, here's, here's your pen back. And Harry Dean Stanton takes it and looks at it and he says, what, what, what? Like, what am I supposed to do with this now? And I, I love that prop. I love that that Harry Dean Stanton has handed this pen, or Brett has handed his pen, and he just, I can't do I, I can't put it back in my coat. What, what do I do with this thing? Is it going to keep eating acid through my body? What's going to happen? I just love that little moment. So, Dingus, uh, it's a space pen, by the way. Oh, yeah, it's a Spain. Yeah. There are actually special, well, not for aliens that have gravity, but there are special pens that are work in zero G, just so you guys know, astronaut pens. Absolutely. And I, I love, you know, I almost, uh, as I went through this and I saw a bunch of other things that were pen and pencil oriented that I thought, oh, man, I just should have made this, you know, your favorite use of pens in, because I love pens. So oh. but, but that little moment where he's looking at it and going, what? Like, well, that would have worked, Dingus. I mean, like, we had some great ones for cups. Uh, the one that I had to bump off my list to make room for uh, Anna Kendrick's uh, cup was uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman basically uh, filleting a pencil while he's talking to Mark Wahlberg in Boogie Nights. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love that that use of a, of a prop. Um, I like the pen and the thing that Wilfred Brimley is using to stick into the cadaver of the thing, and then he, like, kind of taps it against his lip after that. How do you pronounce that word, Kelly Wand? <laughs> Cadaverous. <laughs> By the way, is it, did, I, did I correctly hear Philip Seymour Hoffman in The Master say nuclear? Yes, you did. Oh, my God. Oh, that's where the movie started to fall apart. From. Although, you know what, maybe that was it's a choice. I guess so. They hadn't invented, that's how Indiana Jones said it back then. So why wouldn't Philip Seymour Hoffman? Uh, uh, all right, so uh, other runners... Did he runners... say that, Indiana Chance? Oh, you bet. Yeah, Harrison Ford apparently cannot pronounce the word nuclear. Yeah, He's an archaeologist, not a... Uh... I don't think Harrison Ford is an archaeologist. <laughs> oh. <laughs> hey, a whips... Oh, it's a weapon. Never mind. Uh, so other runners up. Yeah, no whips. That's a weapon. I liked Brad Pitt's eating in Ocean's Eleven. Uh, I guess he didn't use one utensil for the whole movie. You could argue that uh, uh, Julia Roberts was a prop in Ocean's 12. 
Ouch. What movie wasn't she? <laughs> Aaron Brockovich. Actually closer. What? You, uh-huh. you saw Aaron Brockovich. I do like her in that. Come on, Steve. If anybody knows how to work with a, a not terribly great actor, it would be Steven Soderbergh. She's getting closer though. That's the movie where you I know like. what? Yeah, I do like. I mean, that, she's, she's kind of getting... been awful lately. But yeah, I don't. I don't want to back on Julia Roberts. Um, except yeah. in Ocean's Twelve. In Ocean's Twelve, I will. But that's uh, not her fault. Right. Well. Eh. Yeah, it is. I'm an idiot. Forget everything. Else. Uh, all right. Other runners up. Uh, do you guys remember a moment where? Uh, I thought it was Fletch, but I don't think it is. It might be uh, broadcast news. I can't remember quite when it happened. They're that. both about journalists. <laughs> where where somebody's about to go on the go somewhere, and he has to spit his gum into his producer's hand, and then she just pops it into her mouth. Oh, That's more, broadcast news for sure. I was going to say Morning Glory. Oh, uh, Tom Tootsie. <laughs> So the gum, but I couldn't remember what it was. And the, the other runner-up I had was, because I just watched Rick because we uh, saw Looper, um, it, there's nothing really done with this in this particular scene, but the, the scene where the pin and um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt are, are eating cereal at his mom's table, he's got this great duck walking cane, and the thing just sits there next to the table. <laughs> I just love that little duck walking cane. He, uh, you know, it's it's a weird little prop, but I just love it. I think it's perfect for the character. Wait a minute, why? Oh, I guess it's not a weapon. So it's is it better than Michael Sheen's laser cane in Tron? <laughs> Will you stop bringing that up? I love that. All oh, right, yeah, so it's not a sword. Sorry, uh, Dingus. Who is? Uh, we we have some uh, reader submissions for best use of a prop in a movie. Dingus, what, what do you got for us? Who? What have folks sent in? All right, so I'm going to go from the ones that came to us first to the ones that came to us last. Uh, so uh, this this fella, Paul Weimer, I hope yep. I'm saying his name Weimer. right here, uh, he's got three picks for his favorite uses of props. His number three is the kid's box cart that Michael J. Fox borrows and converts to an ersatz skateboard in Back to the Future. Wait, which one? Two? I think that would be the first one. That was Back to the Future. Yeah. Yep. He, makes, he makes it into Skateboard. His number two is uh, the fish tank in Total Recall, the original. We see it in the background of Cohagen's office, and he smashes it in frustration. Mm-hmm. And uh, then the, uh, the, his number one is a cross on a chain Colin Farrell's agent Whitworth carries in Minority Report. There's a bit where he's chasing Tom Cruise. Uh, that's a good one. Yeah. And he what is on crossing himself. Instead of saying dialogue, he kisses it. Yeah. That's all you need. So it's, a, it's a cross on a chain in Minority Report. Mm-hmm. Right. So then... Um, you got 37 to go. <laughs> no, we've got 37 <laughs> to go. Uh, someone named Fire from Quarter to Three uh, says that uh, the number her number one choice is the worm in Secretary. Ah, good one. I like that. I don't remember that. Does, uh, is that all that she wrote? Is the worm in secretary? No, there's a whole there's a whole description. But since Kelly responded, I'd like to see if Kelly would. Oh wait, respond. I'm thinking of the apple. Different. Never mind. No, I'm thinking of something else. Carrot. <laughs> so uh, so, Maggie Gyllenhaal's character is the secretary uh, for James Spader. She's hired. Uh, to do his typing and um, halfway through the movie Lee 
is furious, and she sees an earthworm crawling in the dirt outside her parents' house. She picks up the worm, places it on a sheet of paper, folds the paper into thirds, stuffs it in an envelope, addresses the envelope to Mr. Gray in her neat cursive, and uh, before he opens the envelope and reacts, she just loves how this worm is smashed in this. Dingus, that's like you with the moth. Yeah, why are you guys yeah. so cruel? You guys should uh, get a room. I was thinking of the carrot. My apologies. Uh, I'm never letting Kelly Wan fix a salad. <laughs> if, you can't, if you can't keep a worm and a carrot straight, Kelly Wan. Uh, <laughs> all right, they're both uh, in the soil. It's the same. All right, um, Dingus, go on. What else? All right, so lizard. Uh, somebody named Lizard Dude. Uh, says if clothing can count as a prop, uh, he chooses Ryan Gosling's clenching his gloves in drive. Ah, that's good. Uh, Shelly Elvington has three. Um, John Cusack's boombox and say anything. Very Uh, famous. Good one. Joker's pencil trick in Dark Knight. Oh, uh, boy. That's right up there, yeah, with uh, the Philip Seymour Hoffman pencil trick and the Alien pencil trick. Very good, Shelley. Very nice, <laughs> except for the, the weapon idea. But, but yeah, I agree with that. And then number three is something I can't comment on, the Afro pick in Spaceballs. Kelly Wan, can you explain that to us? The what pick? Uh, the Afro pick in Spaceballs. The Afro pick. I don't remember it. <laughs> All right. I don't think I've seen that part. <laughs> Afro pick. Are you sure you're pronouncing it right? No. All right. Uh, so the next one is Scott McNeil. Scott McNeil has three as well. Um, he's he's talking about, and I like I love this one. The the Velociraptor claw. Doctor Grant uses to scare the kid in Jurassic Park. What? Remember that at the beginning of Jurassic Park? Uh, I feel like an idiot tonight. Afro pick. <laughs> I mean, Velociraptor. <laughs> you remember the little kid is 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 making fun of the whole idea of the Velociraptor being a turkey, and um, ah right. And he takes and Doctor Grant takes that claw out of his pocket and goes and and does this thing where he's like going to eviscerate the kid. I, I do remember that. Yep. Does it does it get used later? Is it a Chekhov's gun where he later uses it to, I don't know, free himself or scare the T Rex or does that does it come back into play, Dingus? Do we remember? No, I don't think it does. All right. It's well, not the like Velociraptor shows up with real CG. Ah, the, the, yeah. Later, there's a Velociraptor attached. That's to the it. callback. I see. Right to the gun. <laughs> All right. In so F4. what what were what were Scott's other two? Scott's number two is um the. Uh, the ring that Schindler receives at the end of Schindler's List. You get a ring? What about yeah, the I... car that Tom Hanks gets the end of Castaway? That was really moving. <laughs> Take that, <laughs> person who wrote in with a good choice. Um, you know, he receives the ring and he drops it and then he hurriedly picks it up. And, it's, you know, it's that moment where Schindler's saying, you know, he could have had this many more people that he could have saved. Mm-hmm. And the number one is the live octopus in Old Boy. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, that's as mean as the worm and the moth. See, animals are just props in Game of Life. 
But we're not. Oh, we have another pen in our next one. Oh, this is a good one. This is Greg Ambrose, and his number three is Val Kilmer twirling a pen around his finger in Top Gun. I remember that. Um, not as good, by the way, as the uh, Asian woman in Pitch Perfect. Some amazing pen work uh, from her. Dingus, do you catch that, by the way? No, I didn't actually. So there's a, there's a there's an Asian woman who's one of the acapella singers, and she's doing that awesome. I guess it's like what Val Kilmer's doing that Greg is mentioning here. She's doing that awesome thing where you hold it between like your index and middle finger, and you twirl it around, and it basically is looking like a helicopter. I mean, it's just a pin twirling yeah, around. I can't do that. I can't either. I wish I could. That would be yeah. awesome. People, um, people do, do it at they flaunt it like yeah. Well, yeah, and they, they show the Asian girl doing it in Pitch Perfect, and they you know they make a point to frame it where you can see her doing it in the background. Dingus, I don't know what you were staring at that you missed this, but I have a clue as to what it was. My notebook. Mm-hmm. First letter it begin. The first name begins with an A, and the second name begins with a K. I bet that's what you were staring at. All right. Mm. Liberace's AK. Like to have her between my index finger and. Dingus, how do you go that from a super obscure Pitch Perfect reference to a super obscure End of Watch reference? That's that's not even a thing. That's not you can't make. Ugh, I would expect that from you with like Star Wars or Midnight Run. But wow, wow, End of Watch. That's, <laughs> Midnight Run. That's pretty good, Dingus. All right, so Greg mentioned uh, Val Kilmer does that with the pen in Top Secret. What else does he have for us? Well, Greg also has Val Kilmer as his number two just uh, for how Val Kilmer twirls his six shooters in Tombstone. Six shooters, is that another word for a tin cup? I thought it was balls. <laughs> really and, then, uh, and then his number one is also Val Kilmer as he dances quarters around his knuckles in real genius, which I, which I love yes. because all of these things are, I are things I've tried to emulate and failed utterly at doing. I would love to see you try to, uh, twirl six shooters, dingus. <laughs> Tom, I'd love to see you smoke a pipe on stage without <laughs> fucking it up. Watson, I've dropped my six shooter. Oh, so good. Uh, now, isn't a six shooter a weapon though? Are we going to have to rep- We're going to have to reprimand Greg Ambrose. Not if he's not uh, shooting it when he's doing it. He's just twirling. That's, That's a good. But if it's not if it's not loaded, it can't be a weapon. So for mm-hmm. all we know, it wasn't loaded. Yeah. Low sperm count equals no dick. <laughs> it's a metaphor, Kelly Wand. <sighs> uh, all right, Dingus, uh, go on. Anything else? All right, we have one more from a fella named Cynic. All right, so so uh, for his number three, he asks, "Can an animal be a prop?" And if so, his number three is the cat Marlon Brando keeps on his lap in The Godfather. Hmm. Well, if you I, can have the octopus in Old Boy, you might as well have the cat in The Godfather. Good one. I love that, too, by the way. I mean, I, I, I'm not a super Godfather fan like you guys might be, but I just love the fact that he's sitting there petting a the cat during that scene. That's awesome. And it's not like a menacing Blofeld kind of villain thing. It's just the dude happens to have a cat that's in his lap that he likes. I it was it. an arbitrary choice, according to the commentary. They just, like, fan it up. Just put it in there. Like, the, like, did Brando want it, or did, did was yeah. it something that Coppola wanted to do? So, so Brando's just like, really? That's awesome. Yeah. You know what it reminds me of? Well, go ahead, Dingus. Sorry. No, go ahead, Tom. It reminds me of, uh, and not to say this is on Godfather caliber, but I just love this kind of thing in movies. Uh, there's a point in Half Nelson where uh, Ryan Gosling is confronting, is Anthony Mackie the guy in Half Nelson? I think it's Anthony Mackie, where uh, Ryan Gosling is uh, basically confronting, I think it's like a drug dealer, and he's like, you know what, let's, let's go inside and let's talk. 
And it's it's just these two guys are having a confrontation. They're going to go inside and continue the conversation. And as they're walking in the door, uh, and it's in a sort of an inner city neighborhood, Ryan Gosling, and I don't know if this was planned. I would love to know. He bends down and he picks up a cat. There's just a cat there because we've established in the movie, Half Nelson, that he owns a cat. And he picks up the cat. He's going to carry it in. And Anthony Mackie is like, you can't bring that in here, man. <laughs> he tells him to put the cat down. I love that. That's the sort of thing. I don't know if it was written, if the actors just happened upon that, but uh, yeah. Wait, why can't he bring it in? Anthony Mackie does not want a cat in his house. He's why? Like, bring that cat in here because he's very fastidious about not wanting oh. cat hair on his couch. I don't know <laughs> for whatever reason, uh, <laughs> you know. And that and that's kind of like the presumption that you would just pick up a neighborhood cat and carry it in. Like if I was coming over to visit someone, that I oh hey here's a cat. I'm going to bring it in with me to hang out. <laughs> yeah, noticed. <laughs> You can bring a kite in, but not a cat. <laughs> Dingus, uh, an obscure assassination of Jesse James reference. Dingus, nobody gets that. <laughs> I agree. I think that part of the, part of the thing that's great about this Godfather thing is that it's uh, it, it really does have the sense of of, of Coppola going. Uh, somebody hand him something. Just deal with. <laughs> we have and a lot. That, of, yeah. And that sort of sets his whole performance. Just hand him a cat, and then he's like, oh, no, no, I can do it then. But he doesn't give a fuck about horses. I got that. I got that. Dingus is dead silent. Uh, all right, so uh, any more from Greg, Dingus? So, so uh, yeah, Nick's uh, second one is... Oh, that was Nick, sorry. ...from Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, and this is really quite great. Wait a minute, uh, let's see if I can guess this. Tinker... The glasses? His glasses were kind of cool. Is that a prop? I don't know. Like, what's a good prop used in Tinker Tailor? No oh, chance. I know. I, I have one. I have it there. Is he saying the long lens in the shot where the airplane is landing? Is that a prop? Or, uh, no. I don't know. What would be the prop in Tinker Tailor Soldier's Spy? All right. What does Nick have? It is a prop plane, but no. Um, what if I were to say uh, a piece of toast? Oh, the Simon Bernal. Uh, is that his name? Simon, the actor's name? Simon Bernal eating the toast. He's supposed to be the ineffectual bureaucrat. That scene? Yes. Uh, so what Nick is talking about is uh, Simon McBurney buttering the piece of toast as Toby Jones and I don't know how to say. Siren. Uh, oh, 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 it's uh, oh, it's Kieran, isn't it? Didn't someone explain? Kieran. Prince? Yeah. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're coming to visit the undersecretary, Simon McBurney, and he's buttering a piece of toast. And what what Nick loves is is how uh, pompously he's buttering this piece of toast. As only the English could do it. There's no non-pompous way to butter toast. Kelly Wan, come over. I'll show you. You got to use Nutella. <laughs> and then, uh, and then, Cynic's number one is from uh, Inglorious Bastards, and it's the pipe. So we have another mention of a pipe. This is Christoph Waltz smoking in the opening. Oh yes, yes. Uh, didn't break his. <laughs> his did not fall <laughs> apart. Oscar. <laughs> or wait, he didn't win, did he? Did he win? Yeah, of course he did. Yeah. Oh. Didn't, didn't he have a rather... Uh, yeah, I, I remember his... See what stakes there are in your pipe actings? If I only I had made sure the stem was connected uh, more firmly to the bowl, I would have fine. what she said. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Dingus, were those, uh, those were our reader submissions this week? The, the, those are our reader submissions. So uh, thank you, Paul, Fire, Lizard Dude, Shelly, Scott, Greg, and Nick. We appreciate all of those. Uh, next week's 3x3. Three three. Um, it's my turn. Here we go. So uh, a, a lot of times when I 
talk to people who, uh, who are very kind and say nice things about the podcast, which we, we really appreciate feedback. They'll say, why do you call him Dingus? Because, uh, uh, Christian Macronsky's real name is not Dingus. Uh, and I will explain, I, you know what? I don't, I don't even know why it just kind of organically happened, uh, a long time ago. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, we, I've, I've tried different nicknames on for different people. I actually, let me back up a little bit more. Just indulge me for a second. I was in a, uh, uh, history of Judaism class back in graduate school. And I remember the professor was uh, named Dr. Uh, Levinson. And, and it's a testament that I don't even remember his first Get it. name. Oh, John Levinson. And the first day of class, he said, and he was an Orthodox Jew. He, was, he had a great sense of humor. He was a fantastic teacher. But the first day of class, he laid down the law and he said, you call me Dr. Levinson. I call you Mr. or Miss So-and-so. We are not on a first name basis. You know, I'm not your buddy. I am your teacher. And he wasn't saying this harshly. He was just a very traditional old school conservative guy and and he and he then went on to talk about how names are important and how as a jew names are very important to him and how the name of god is such a significant thing in the bible and that really made an impression on me and it occurred to me that people overuse first names all the time and and from that point i i somehow took to calling certain people by their last names because nobody uses last names anymore and it, it's sort of more special in a way so from there uh there are certain people to whom with whom i'm good friends and and at some point they'll get a nickname from me and and i just love the idea of, of how important names are and how overused first names can be um and, and so kelly wand i call you kelly wand you're not just kelly you're not just mr wand like i, I have this moniker for you so i love 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 nicknames i still don't get Dingus. Well, so I was in a, a, I was in a movie a long time ago. I had a little teeny part in a in a Frank and Jesse James movie, and I I, I just remember uh, I didn't know anything about them, but I remember that in some of the dialogue, Frank James would call Jesse James in this movie Dingus. And it was just this term, apparently like an old Western term that you use for a little brother. Uh, and I don't, I, I, that made Aww. an impression on me at the time. And I didn't know so anything about, about old Western talk. I didn't know if it was just something in this script. I just remember seeing, uh, I just remember Bill Paxton calling Rob uh, Lowe dingus. And, 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 and <laughs> I was, thought it was a dick joke for the last three years. Not that I know of. I don't really know what it is. So at some point, uh, I, you know, I, I have this sort of brotherly regard for Christians, so I, I call him Dingus. That's where that comes from. Uh, and and, it, and I remember hearing it in Assassination of Jesse James. There's a point where Sam Shepard calls Brad Pitt Dingus, and I love that. So it was apparently an old Western thing. Dingus has since looked it up and discovered that it means like a thing or a – didn't you even say it was like a stupid person or, or – <laughs> We, we've looked well, names through. do mean they, exactly. It does make your point, doesn't it? <laughs> but it, it's, it's, names are. it's a term of endearment, uh, and it came ultimately from a movie, uh, a crappy movie uh, that happened to be about Frank and Jesse James that was apparently a historical thing that, that uh, oh, Frank James used to call uh, Jesse James. Uh, similarly, uh, I have another friend named Troy, and I have no idea how this happened, but there's a great scene. I, I say there's a scene, and it's a throwaway moment in The Ice Storm, where Toby Maguire and Christina Ricci, their brother and sister, are talking, and they call each other Charles. Neither of them has that name. Uh, it, there, it's just a very sort of a sibling friendliness. He calls her Charles. She calls him Charles. It's never explained. It's just the one scene. And for whatever reason, and I don't know how this happened, uh, I also have this sort of brotherly regard towards my friend Troy, and I just call him Charles. And it's just a nickname that came from a movie. And I don't, I don't. I really know. I'm the only one of your friends without a brotherly sobriquet. That's interesting. 
I think of you more as the crazy uncle, Kelly Wand. I thought you were going to say sister. <laughs> so what I want from you guys, what I want from you guys, I've given you two examples, uh, the use of Dingus in uh, a, a Jesse James movie and the use of Charles in Ice Storm. I just want your favorite nicknames from movies. Because in a lot of times, you know, a lot of times in a movie, a character has a dumb name, you know, Jeep from, uh, what was that? <laughs> what was the movie where the guy's name was Jeep? Legion. Legion, yes, thank you. And Battleship. Uh, uh, a lot of times somebody has a dumb name, but in movies, some characters have nicknames. So I just want uh, three nicknames that you like from movies. Okay, so Nerf Herder is not a nickname. I don't, that's an insult. Like, that's uh, that's just a, uh, yeah, so no, it has to be a, a walking carpet. Not a, that's an insult. Not, oh. not, yeah, is that a nickname? I don't know. You know what, Kelly One, do with it as you will. If you think of those as nicknames, that's cool. Uh, is Ben a nickname or Obi-Wan a nickname? I, I'd have to see what's on his birth certificate. I, I'm not clear on that, yeah. Oh, you're one of those. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm an Obi-Wan birther, that's right. Interesting. Because uh, I don't even think he was born on Tatooine, you know. Right. So. It's not even a real uh, state. Uh, so if you have picks that you would like to submit, we would love to hear them. We will read them on the air. Send them to 3 by 3 at quarter to 3com That's 3x3 at, and you spell out, quarter to 3com uh, That will be our 3 by 3 next week. We will also be seeing Argo. Oh, Jesus. What's wrong with Argo, Kelly? You know what? I don't know that much about it. So Another biopic. Oh, boy. Uh, and with Ben Affleck. So it's about the life and times of Argo? Eh. I don't even know who that is. Mm. Uh, join us for that, as well as a 3 by 3 on uh, favorite nicknames. Um, I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian Makrowski, I think it is. It's Christian Morosky. Mm, I don't think so. And... K Wand? What if I floated that Kelly Wand? K Wand? No, I don't like. I got to stick with Kelly Wand. I, don't, I got nothing for you. That's Kelly right. Wand. That's his pitch perfect name. <laughs> wand. Yeah, Quand. There you go. Kelly Wand, you have so many different nicknames from so many different people. I don't even want to get into Many things to many people, Tom. That you are, K Wand. So was Chunk a nickname, or was that like his real last name, Goonies? Well, thanks for taking my number one pick. <laughs> Do you have a Tahunga dote, or you want to hear my Canada? Neither. What is your Canada? What do you got for us? Uh, I'm starting to not like Canadians because they're too uh, gregarious. And some drunken fuckwad on the SkyTrain was asking. I was I was reading, and then he starts. He asked me what I'm reading, like super loud, and I'm all novel. And he goes, "Okay, I don't know where to go from here." And then I go, "Oh." <laughs> You initiated a conversation, but I have to carry it. And he's all, what, are you British or something? And then I went, should I just read aloud from my book to entertain you? And then he's all, why ride the SkyTrain if you don't want to talk to people? And then I went, they're there. And then he mumbled. Wow, those Canadians are pushing. I know. He demanded, as a Canadian, he demanded that you be affable. Yeah, and if I ride the SkyTrain, I'm fair game. How do you like that? I think it's, I think it's terrible. I think you should come back to L.A. stat, Kelly Wand. And I also went to the library, and I asked where the, um, the uh, fucking, uh, psychology section was, because I wanted to bone up for a podcast. <laughs> and the librarian goes, it's over there by the statue of Christ the King. 
and then I as opposed to Christ. <laughs> the, well, you know that there are different flavors of Jesus statues. To be fair, really, yeah. Well, yeah, there's some where he's more sort of a pauper. There's probably like more rabbi-oriented statues of him. There are some, you know, when he's uh, the little manger baby. That's a type of a statue. There's of never Jesus, a teenage one. Shouldn't the teenage Jesus be a young adult? Those, are tell you one, those are the missing years. That's, everybody knows, that's when, that's when the Illuminati was training him in Egypt. I only know Dewey Decimal System. <laughs> I guess Darth Vader's a nickname. That's not his real name. Kelly also, Kelly Wan, Vader means father in German, so that's hardly a significant reveal in movie history.